Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and we're on your smart speaker. Coming up, Welby's Revenge. The Archbishop of Canterbury leads bishops in bashing the government's Rwanda bill even as 120 migrants cross the channel on Saturday alone. And in breaking news, Labour withdraws support for its conspiracy candidate in the Rochdale by-election after he claimed Israel knew and allowed Hamas to carry out their horrible attacks on October the 7th. And the Defence Secretary is furious over reports that the army wants to relax security checks for overseas recruits as part of a, wait for it, diversity and inclusion target. Good evening, Britain, and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. You might have noticed we're coming at you one hour earlier. Well, this is now where you find the home of common sense, and we've got one hell of a show for you. There's no trigger warning for any of it. We're going to be outing a lot of anti-Semitism from the Labour Party to the heart of the West End. We're fishing as well in some pretty dirty rivers and seas, and we've got a growing concrete update. You will not want to miss a second of it. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stand by, beds. Now, earlier today, the Rwanda bill faced more criticism in the unelected chamber as the Lords commenced their line-by-line bashing of the draft law. And as usual, there was heavy opposition from the Lords spiritual. But is our clergy really fit to be deliberating over this? I mean, this is the same clergy hoodwinked by sex offenders, criminals and murderers to win asylum. Why the heck would you oppose a bill seeking to relocate mostly unvetted and dangerous grown men away from your children, wives and mothers? Make it make sense. I'm now joined by my panel. Columnist at Telegraph, Madeline Grant. Madeline, welcome back. Haven't seen you for ages. Broadcaster and comedian, it says here, Dave Chawner. Uh, and Talk TV contributor, of course, Esther Kreku. Very nice to see you all. Thank you all for, uh, for joining me. And here we are at 8 o'clock. So an hour earlier. You get to bed an hour earlier. It's all, it's all good stuff. But, I mean, what is going on? I actually watched quite a lot of the Lord's um, debate this afternoon. And I was very struck by the fact that there was hardly anyone there who wanted to speak in, in favour of, of sort of, you know, limiting immigration in any way. I mean, the main focus just seemed to be on this is what uh, we don't like about the Rwanda bill, and we think it's unlawful. Yeah, and even if you think that Rwanda is impractical and unlikely to fix the problem in a big way, which is a perfectly respectable position to mm. have, I think the absence of any proposed alternatives to the plan is what really grates, because, as you say, the impression is rather given that the Lords is completely out of step yeah. with the population that does overwhelmingly want to reduce yes. the numbers. And, you know, I, I understand the difficulty for the Church of England because obviously, you know, you do have to sort of look at the, the life of Jesus and try to practice in that way. But some of, I mean, we're getting into the realm of like people being very obviously duped. Yeah. And 
being foolish rather than simply kind, being right. utterly stupid. Well, when you see like 20 or 30 or 40 people from the Bibby Stockholm all suddenly decided they want to, you know, embrace Christ, you kind of go, really? Do you, do you really want to do that or are you just trying to stay in the country? Well, exactly. And there's, you know, this extraordinary story that appeared in The Times where they yes. went in great detail through many cases where Vickers had obviously been, been duped and, had, and hadn't even done... What I find extraordinary is that if you want to, say, get married in a church, mm. you, you, you go to services for yeah. quite a long period of the year. If you want to get confirmed, you right. take confirmation classes. If you want to send your kids... Good luck to getting into a Catholic church to get married if you haven't been there for a while well. As exactly, well. And, and rightly so. I think it ought to mean something. But the fact that, that there seems to be absolutely no checks, mm. you know, people who, who can't tell you what Lent is, you know, are being, right. being g given a sort of promissory note saying, I'm a Christian yeah, now. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty My nice. favourite um, in the Times story, Dave, I don't know if you saw it, mm. was the guy from, I think it was Bangladesh, who'd murdered his wife, um, but couldn't Charlie. go back uh, to, uh, to Bangladesh and couldn't be deported because he was now a Christian. And because he was now a Christian, they thought it was all right for him to stay here. Didn't really care much about his wife, who was now dead. Mm. That was before he converted, though. So he hadn't seen the Lord. Yes. Before he murdered his wife. Oh, so you're saying after that, maybe he wouldn't kill anybody. Exactly. We shouldn't judge. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I combed through some of the Lord's proposals and I, I pinpointed some of the most outrageous ones because I, I, I actually can't believe that they were suggesting this. So one of them was to make sure the bill expires after two years. Yeah. So we have to go through all this brouhaha again right. in two years' time. Um, give the refugees the right to come back to the UK. The right to come back to the UK because apparently the only people that have rights to come to, to Britain shouldn't be British citizens but people that come here right. um, after paying people smugglers in France. Um, the U apparently, the UN commissioner must say that Rwanda is safe. So not, not, not right. our politicians, mm. not the people that are actually elected on behalf yeah. of this country. The UN commissioner, as if human rights didn't exist right. in Britain before the ECHR and the UN. And apparently, it must comply with all international law um, even though this, the international law that it's complying with is the reason why 12,000 foreign national offenders can't be deported from Britain. I mean, there was a terrorist sympathizer that mm. was allowed to stay in this country because apparently if he's deported to his country of origin, he won't receive the appropriate medical attention. Right. It's the kind of apparently stuff Apparently the most difficult country to be deported to is Iran. So well, if you yeah. come here from Iran, you've got hardly any chance to be sent back. I guess they don't want them back either. Back. Well, for good reason. Maybe but not. The thing, we're not a serious country. I mean, we have mm. people making these decisions mm. on, on, on our immigration, on people that are allowed to come into this country, yeah. mostly unelected, who don't have to live in communities where you're more likely to be doused in right. an alkaline or an, a corrosive substance because you've ticked off someone who's a known sex offender, yeah, right? Yeah. They don't have to live with the consequences of these actions, but somehow they have the audacity to, to hold up these bills in the courts. I don't believe in the Rwanda scheme, personally. I don't I think it's I think the whole but thing is, is a bit of a red herring. It's not really about whether people are going to Rwanda, but it's just this nonsense that the House of Lords are going to spend three days. And if it's anything like today, it just goes on and on and on endlessly. Yeah. And let's talk about the bishops. I mean, I was once in the House of Lords. Um, somebody invited me down there for lunch. And we're walking down this corridor and this door opened and all these bishops came out of this room. It was quite disconcerting. Were they all moving diagonally? No, very like interesting, like very good point. Yes, no, I didn't actually check that out, but it was a good, good idea. But it was just the fact that they've got their own room. You know, it's like a bishop's room where they really? hang out yeah, and they what, sit. What do they do in That there? would be the dullest room in Christendom, wouldn't it? Because it's not like they're going in Certainly there... in like, Christendom. Like, yeah, well, yeah, that's what I mean, but it's not like they're going to go in there and like, smoke cigars and like, you they know, play and pull. I like, bet they, they don't. They can smoke incense. Is that allowed? Bishops, I'm sure, know. have as reasonable lives as anybody else. But, I mean, I watched the Bishop of Southwark get up and talk about how, you know, we have a duty to the vulnerable people. Well, we also have a duty to the people of Britain Actually, um, who are also uh, in some ways vulnerable because in some ways they're suffering at the hands of some of the people who come in who we don't know 
who we don't understand and who we don't know uh, whether they've committed crime or will commit crime. I just can't believe how naive some of these people are to, to really think it's not that easy to game the system. I mean, I've known people that, like siblings, that have got, got, got different passports abroad and then come to the UK and been married and, and seem like a normal married yeah. couple. It is so ridiculously easy to game the system. Mm. It's actually painful. The fact that religious conversion even qualifies as a reason to seek asylum is an embarrassment. Yeah. And then you go, you ask again, who are making these decisions? And then you have this huge cabal of, of the ch charity industrial complex, of civil servants, mm. of supranational courts, of human rights lawyers, none yeah. of whom are accountable to the public, but are making these decisions that negatively affect And all of whom can give you advice and tips on how to make sure you pass the test, so that if they ask you these questions, here's what you say, and then they can never do anything with you. Do you yeah, see that story? There's an irony there. There's like the British citizenship test. Mm. One of my mates gave me one of those. Right. I, I shouldn't be in Britain, because no. I, 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 I failed it. I agree with that. I would throw you out as well. <laughs> I, but where would you, but where would you yeah. go? Where would you go? I know. Are you, are you, you, are you that... a little bit Italian? No, I'm not. People keep on telling me I'm, I'm just, Jewish. I, I'm... I've had four people in the past week telling me I'm Jewish. <laughs> right. And I've said, like, I'm not Jewish. Right. And they're like, no, you are. And I'm like, I'm not Jewish. People keep on telling me. I had Greek the other day. Really? One of the... Uh, Where's the beard? Maybe you lose the beard. You know what? It's the dark hair and the light eyes and, like, the Mediterranean. Yeah. But did you see that story about the guy who got all the way to New York on a plane, <laughs> landed in uh, Kennedy or somewhere, and had no, shown, didn't have a passport, had no papers at all, but he'd somehow managed to get through the airport in this country and out Wait, without he ever... Wait, the plot of the terminal. No, yeah. 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 no, and I can, I can attest to it because I did the same thing. Last time I went to New York, um, because you now go through with your boarding pass, don't you, with the phone. Yeah. So when you go through security, you don't actually have to show your passport to anybody, it's just a machine, yeah. right? And I got all the way to the gate and I was flying with, oh, well, there's no point in me saying the name of them, flying with, with this particular airline and the woman said, oh, nobody's checked your passport. So I'd got all the way to the gate wow. and nobody had looked at my passport. And I think that's now the system because they assume if you've got a boarding pass, somebody must have asked for a passport at some point. But they hadn't. That's, that's quite funny. Yeah. Maybe, thought... maybe he identified as someone with a passport. So what happened to him? Well, he got, got to, of course, he got to America, a place with proper borders. Well, at least in yeah. that part of it. Um, <laughs> and they went, you're not coming in. They sent him straight back. And then he came back to... here and he got arrested for, you know, misuse of plane something or other. He's been arrested again misuse for not turning plane. on the yeah. court. It's yeah. good that, that, you know, someone is acting somewhere. Yeah, but this is the thing. I mean, it's very <laughs> obvious to me. And also, you know, I spend a lot of time on the South Coast in, in uh, weekends and stuff. And it's very obvious that there are boats arriving here all the time, mm. which nobody knows about. Yeah. You know, and my kids will tell me they'll sometimes see sort of, you know, groups of men who just honestly look as if they've got off a boat just walking down the street. You know? I mean, we're in a comedy of errors. Yeah. You literally can't make it up. You just, you just cannot do it. Should we have a look and remind ourselves about what Rishi Sunak said? Uh, this was, I think, back in the day when he decided to come out with his five pledges. Um, here's what he said. I will not rest until the boats are stopped. With grip and determination, the government can fix this. And we are using every tool at our disposal. That's obviously why he looks so tired, because he hasn't yeah. rested, um, oh, yeah. because he hasn't stopped the boats. I yeah. think he might be mummified before the boats <laughs> stop. Oh, he's he's always got the voice, I think, of a customer service operator. Yes. Like, your call is very right. important to us. Yeah, please don't raise your voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. just needs a bit of bossa nova music. And he was up yeah. in the north today telling people how cheap bus travel was. You're kind of going, sorry? What planet does this man oh, live on? If, if there are buses, by the planet way. Planet Sunak, I think. But what, what I'm interested in is that, you know, I worry that there is genuinely no one in politics that can fix this. Because no. it's not just, I've no doubt that the Reform Party would like very much to fix it, but yeah. it takes, if you're going to figure out how to deal with all of this lawfare, the Blair-era mm. stuff that yeah. was left behind, the courts, the all-powerful courts, and also often a reluctant civil service, 
it's going to take. I really think that it was only someone like Dominic Cummings that really understood yes. how on earth you break through these right. like. But these even he couldn't Systematic do it. forces. The, but the yeah. system broke him. Exactly. And, I mean, he came in literally to break the system, and unfortunately, he then became a victim of it. Exactly. But I was watching one of the one of the lords I was watching today, Charlie Faulkner. You know, the great sort of Blairite yep. um, reconstructor of Britain, was talking about how you know we mustn't allow the government to um, change the shape of Britain, and we mustn't allow the government to, in some way, uh, usurp the establishment and the different, you know... Oh. And I'm thinking, Physician. this is what you spent 10 years yeah. doing. Physician, yeah. heal thyself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this competing. is why there's such a disdain for, for politics in this country and, and a real mm. apathy, because yeah. there's a huge divide between the people making these decisions and the people that have to live with the consequences mm. of them. I mean, for them to say something like, oh, you, you must not change the, sh the shape of prison. Well, guess what? This is why we don't even have a constitution, right? The, the, the flexibility that we afford our politicians is why we, 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 we don't want to, to effectively cage ourselves right. in like the Americans have. And that doesn't make a difference because you have a cabal of people that will still do what they mm. want within their own framework. And anyway. almost all so of them what, are, what un are unelected. They were sort exactly. of scoffing this afternoon at the people in the House of Commons who had the temerity to suggest that perhaps Parliament should be sovereign from the from the courts. Yeah, exactly. And then you go to what's the that mean? and then they I don't just... get what any Well, it that means, means. That, that the courts should not really get involved in making political decisions, which effectively is what the Rwanda bill is. When they sent when the Supreme Court said this is not lawful because you're supposed to adhere to international law, this is government policy which should not be interfered with by the judiciary. Yeah. That's yeah. the point, isn't it? Well, they're, they're a revising chamber. They they have the right to look at it, to make amendments, etc. Right. But, you know, there's very limited time here. Mm. So they're going to do everything they can to use what is within their remit without right. specifically blocking, right. but delaying as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, and they've got 150,000 amendments. I don't even yeah, know yeah, how yeah. many they've got. And like, you, can be, get, you can be damn sure that most of those amendments will be a subtle way of preventing the government from yeah. achieving its aims. It will not be, how can we actually make it more robust no. that it might pass through? Isn't, isn't that yeah. the case with every bill, though? Because that, isn't that the point of being but a democracy, a that it's push and pull but, and we can't yeah, work negotiations? Most of the bills they don't care that much about, but this one brings out the virtue in everyone. I th yeah, you know? I mean, I it think really does. In some, there is a lot, I think, to be said for the continued existence of the House of Lords because there, there is real experience. Yes. And yeah. often when there's chaos in government, there are serious expert That's people fine, there but they who can make a big difference. There should be fewer of them, I think. Well, the well, thing is, the nurse yeah. The, the Lords has turned into an unelected nursing home. You have these people that are supposed to be separate from politics, but really they're not. They're just a bunch of, you know, Tory or Labour friends that have su suddenly been yeah. elevated to this chamber. I mean, there's a lot desperately of... Uh... needs reform. I mean, if you, if you, if you, if you even put a term, like a life or uh, age limit on the Lords, you could cut the size of it currently by yeah. two thirds. There was That's a lot of coughing and spluttering yes. going on. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a mixture between Big Brother and Cocoon. Yeah. Like, it's just, and I think, I think if you're really going to do something, just make it more interesting. They should mm. all have to like rap battle or something because right. I just think that <laughs> that stuff that that's the kind of politics I would get engaged in yes yeah, but I it's wouldn't. not all about you Dave you know but the no. point is, is I think they should exist but I think they should be a lot smaller can you just, imagine you know, can you imagine the Jewish people in the but house you know what it was actually like it was actually <laughs> worse in the days where I mean when there was the hereditary peers which mm. obviously Labour changed in some ways there were some advantages to having more hered peers because they weren't particularly wow. beholden to any political right. party yeah and they were quite they were more independent they were more independent it's not ideal obviously but now we We've replaced that with a chamber of cronies, people right. who are mates. As, yeah, as rather than a chamber of inbreds. Like I just kind of think, you know what I mean? Just like, abolishing reform. Yeah, but hang on. There's not much point in but abolishing. Do you think we life shouldn't have peers. a second chamber for, for revising? Well, this is my problem with democracy. I, I haven't got a clue about any of this. You were talking about judiciary and yeah, sovereignty. I know it's hard. Ask your... It's hard for you. <laughs> That's not why you're here. You're not here for your expert legal but opinion. But Esther's used the word cabal five times. I've yeah. got a clue what that means. But I think your average person... She'll take average... you to one later. You're average... <laughs> 
this, this is my genuine point with, with the Rwanda bill and stuff. There's a lot of fluff, bluster, whatever. And I'd say your, your average person in the street, if you are coming down with terms like uh, the, the sovereign... Right. Uh, do, do they cared about it during, They cared about it during Brexit, yeah, but, but I think that kind of ruined it we, for we have, we have We have this unwritten constitution and it goes way back. There are aspects of it mm. that go back for even pre the Norman Conquest. Yeah. Yeah. Even if most people don't understand what it means, it doesn't mean it's not important mm. and valuable yeah. that we yeah. just get yes. rid of everything that's not, that's you know exactly. somewhat arcane. No, exactly. Also, I mean, it's all very well saying you've yeah. got rid of the, the, the hereditary peers, but actually they kept 99 of them for some inexplicable reason. And also you've still got the monarchy. Yeah. So you can't go on about, oh, I don't really fancy having people just doing a job because they inherited it. Well, unfortunately, that's that the way the country is. Get rid of the monarchy, then. No. Uh, no. Uh, Shut up. Ridiculous. Yes. No. Get him out. Um, <laughs> this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Up next, uh, we're going to be talking about the disgrace of Labour's Israel-hating Rochdale by-election candidate and George Galloway, once again hoping to bellow his booming voice through the halls of Westminster. Uh, taking it to the max. It's all coming up next. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The Labour Party is once again embroiled in an anti-Semitism row after Councillor Azar Ali, who's standing in the upcoming Rochdale by-election, said Israel had allowed, in his words, the October 7th massacre to give it the green light to invade Gaza. All uh, those comments now uh, have been all over the place for the last two days. Ali has now apologised for the comments, which he called deeply offensive, ignorant and false. But in breaking news tonight, Labour has officially withdrawn support for Azar Ali. So to discuss all of this and more, I'm joined by Chief Political Commentator with the Independent, Mr John Rensel. John, a very good evening to you. Timing, as ever, is like... everything. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, this... Uh, this Labour statement uh, just makes things worse, I'm afraid. Mm. They say that new information has come to light, yes. which implies that the old information wasn't enough uh, for them to withdraw their support for uh, for Azhar Ali. It would have been much better yes. if uh, Keir Starmer had just said, "I've had you know, I've I've had time to think about it. I've considered it carefully, uh, and uh, I've decided he's got to go." Yeah. Well, this is the trouble, isn't it? Because this story has been rumbling around for a minimum 48 hours, it seems to me. Lisa Nandy uh, was seen campaigning on his behalf, I think, on Sunday when these comments were known about. Um, yep. Other MPs appeared, I think, on... I think it was Pat McFadden, who was on Laura Kunzberg, who said that he thought the apology was enough. Um, we then had... He didn't uh, say that, actually. No, he, he just said that he had apologised. And I, re well, I watched well, that. Well, I watched incident. it I could... and I saw him say that, basically, he thought the apology was enough. Well, yeah, but if you saw his face, you could tell he didn't think he didn't think that. Well, but no, I could tell. Right. Yeah, I mean, but hang on, John, you got to you got to take what they say as read rather than how they say <laughs> no, it. I, I mean, the fact is, he no, said he was he was given obviously instructions. If they ask you about this bloke, Ali, just tell him, just say he's apologised, and that's fine. Yeah, no, I I agree, and uh, I mean it's really embarrassing to 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 hang Lisa Nandy, Pat McFadden, and. Uh, uh, um, uh, Nick Thomas Simmons. Right. Uh, who was out, uh, and wasn't Angela Rayner was up there relatively? Was, I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday, but Angela Rayner was, was, was campaigning on his behalf shortly um, after the words had been confirmed to have been said. So, but doesn't this put basically Keir Starmer once again under a spotlight that he didn't need to be under? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it just shows that he, he doesn't have um, good political judgment, uh, I think, in the. Um, I mean, you could say, well, you know, this is a media frenzy and it'll pass, and he came to the right decision in the end. But, uh, you know, and, and, you know, people are demanding 
people who make decisions too quickly. Yes. But I mean, that's politics, I'm afraid. And, yeah. and to string something out like this for so long, uh, I think shows a, a lack of judgment. I mean, I think it, it was it was easy to see right away from the start what what he should have done. Yes. I mean, I can understand, you know, I, I yield to nobody in my opposition to George Galloway, and I really do not want to see yeah. George Galloway uh, as an MP. And George Galloway is the is the uh, the candidate who might uh, win Rochdale yeah. if if Labour pulls its support from uh, from Ali. Uh, but I'm afraid that doesn't stop Labour doing the right thing. Let let George Galloway be the MP for a few months and then win the seat back in the general election mm. with a proper candidate. Yeah, but doesn't it also give you an indication of how some constituencies are very problematic for Starmer because the people who might have voted Labour last time, um, particularly in the Muslim community, are now not going to? Yeah, but that's a separate issue, Mike. I mean, to but be it's honest. not really. You know, well, yeah, I think I think it is a problem in in some places, and uh, yes, Keir Starmer's had had a, had a difficulty with his position on Gaza, refusing to call for a ceasefire. Uh, I think he took the right decision on that, and uh, he took the right decision uh, from the start, and, and and stuck to it. So I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, but he's but now starting to say, is he not now starting to say that there should be a ceasefire? Is he not starting to say what? Is he not now starting to say, though, that there should be a ceasefire? He said it over the weekend, didn't he? Well, yeah, but no, no, but it's all coded, isn't it? It's, it's a sustained, sustainable yeah, ceasefire. but that's exactly the problem, it's, isn't it? I mean, we've, not we've, a had, we've had his multiple kind of double, you know, switchback no, no, no. U-turns. Hang on, over the, over the 28 billion green agenda thing, which he finally gave into the pressure from the Treasury or from the shadow Treasury from, um, from Rachel Reeves and said, OK, we're not going to do it, got himself in trouble. He's now reversed his original idea on, on Azir Ali and decided that they're now going to suspend him when they weren't before and they're not going to support him. And also on trans rights. I mean, he's now getting a reputation as a guy... I mean, forget about, you know, Captain Flip-Flop. I mean, this is <laughs> Captain sort of, you know, roller coaster ride up and down, round and round, you know, completely have no idea whether what he says today is going to be true tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Although on, on the Gaza ceasefire question, uh, he is merely uh, following the same uh, position as the, as the government, which is to try to... I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult because obviously everybody wants a ceasefire. Nobody wants, I don't think it is difficult. I don't see why it's difficult. But... You can't just call for a ceasefire uh, just just flat out because uh, because Hamas is not going to abide by a ceasefire. No, and also Hamas want a ceasefire in order to rearm. They don't want a ceasefire in order not to kill Israelis because that's what they are sworn to do. You know, their yeah. absolute and utter charter uh, is to do away with Israel. So you know you can't deal uh, with those absolutely. people. Absolutely, which is why I think I think Islam has uh, taken the right position on uh, on that. But I mean that doesn't mean. That uh, that he's not uh, he's not got problems with his party right. uh, it, on on that issue and uh, and you're absolutely right about that but I mean that is only in in, in a, a few seats in the country yes that may well be but it's also his problem is because I put this out uh, the other day because he made a speech or gave an interview to say that I've changed the Labour Party and now I want to change the country and I said yeah sounds like a threat that uh, particularly given the way that he hasn't changed the Labour Party because we've seen them <laughs> select a guy who is clearly anti-Semitic according to their statement we understand they say um, that these are highly unusual circumstances however um, Keir Starmer has changed Labour from the party uh, that it was in 2019. But basically, they're saying that they've now found something other that this guy may have said. Yeah, no, but I mean, I think, 
I, I mean, the thing is, when uh, 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 when Ali was was selected as the candidate, this you know what he'd said wasn't widely known. Um, so I don't think uh, I don't think you can blame the the local Labour Party for it, although they should have chosen. Well, hang on. Uh, if they, well, it depends the, on what the these other. My colleague Paul Wall. But John, doesn't it depend on what these other comments are? It's just following new information about further comments. I mean, if this guy had been in any way checked out, and if it turns out he's been saying anti-Semitic things for quite a while, and I, I believe that it goes back, you know, at least into last year and possibly longer, then they didn't yeah. check him out. No, well, they obviously didn't do a very good job. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, and and we, <laughs> we and we believed all the spin that the Labour Party was. Was selling us about how they're uh, they're rigorously choosing uh, sensible candidates well, this time around, and uh, <laughs> and Keir Starmer's very concerned to make sure that he gets some decent pe decent people of calibre into uh, the parliamentary party after the election. Yeah. I mean, all that has turned out to be utter bunk. But also worse worse than that, the the whole kind of Labour Party machine now looks useless, shambolic, and is lying currently in tatters uh, when it didn't need to be. Yeah, well, they just didn't do their they didn't do their homework. I mean, it was it was a rushed selection, no no question about it. Uh, but uh, you know, this this candidate should never have been uh, should never have been put forward. No, amazing. I wonder if George Galloway will win and get back into Westminster. We'll see. John, thank you very much uh, indeed, and thank you very much indeed for uh, for showing us what it is that can go wrong with a candidate who is not properly selected. And just a quick reminder of all those standing uh, in that by-election in Rochdale in a few weeks' time. Azar Ali uh, is no longer the Labour candidate, so he will be an independent. Mark Coleman, independent. Simon Danchuk, who's Reform UK. Ian Donaldson, Liberal Democrat. Paul Ellison, Conservative. George Galloway, the Workers' Party of Britain. Michael Howarth is an independent. William Howarth is an independent. Guy Otten is from the Green Party. Ravin Rodent, uh, Subortner, official monster raving loony party, and David Tully, who is independent. It's all happening live here. It's the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. After the break, we're going to look at the worm of wokeness taking over the British Army and Britain's caution on Israeli offences. We're revving up. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Defence Secretary Grant Shapps is waging a war on what he says is a woke and extremist culture that has infiltrated the British Army. He's gone on the attack over plans to relax security checks to increase diversity. Mr Shapps says the military needs a proper shake-up to refocus its core mission of being a lethal fighting force. And it comes as Foreign Secretary David Cameron has warned Israel to stop and think before taking any further action in Rafah after special forces rescued two hostages from the area. Joining me now is Tobias Elwood, MP, former chair of the Defence Select Committee. Tobias, a very good evening to you. Thanks very much for joining us on the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Let's start with, with Grant Shapps. I mean, you know a thing or two about uh, the, the people in the military, that you were in it yourself. Um, is it true that it's gone a bit woke? I mean, we see stories about the RAF uh, sort of promoting non-white pilots oh. and having to pay compensation to people. We've seen adverts which are kind of more like department store adverts than they are anything else. Um, how woke is the army and the navy and the, and the military now? Well, the only person that can really answer that is Grant Chaps himself. He's been very vocal in being concerned about some of the reporting, some of the policy directions, some of the uh, pursuits of these woke agendas and reminding uh, the nation and indeed parliamentarians as well 
of the primary function of our armed forces, and that's to defend our nation and to defend our interests. And that could occasionally require us to utilize um, violence in some form. It's the author authorized use of lethality. Nothing you know, uh, friendly about that. It is warfare is horrible in every sense of the word. And you need to have people, professionals, that are trained to uh, utilize warfare in the way that uh, we need to protect our interests. We cannot have a woke agenda affecting uh, our ability to fight. And that is something that Grant has made very, very clear. He needs to identify and indeed flush out. And I commend him for absolutely uh, doing that. And where is this woke agenda coming from? Because we see it in a civil service. We see, you know, home office emails. We see whistleblowers that say this is what happens behind the scenes in some of the government departments. But, I mean, in something like the Defence Department, is it coming from there? Is it coming from the civil service? Is it coming from the sort of top brass in the army? Where is it coming from? Well, uh, the honest answer is I don't know. When I was a defence minister, I made sure that it was the ministers that decided the overall strategic direction yeah. of tra travel. We gave clarity as to where we needed to go. And I'm sure Grant Chance will stamp his own authority on where uh, our armed forces need to go. You touched on it yourself. Our world is getting more dangerous, mm. not less. We're going to have to increase our defence posture. We're going to have to expand our armed forces. I know that's something else the Defence Secretary wants to do. Budgets are tight. I hope we'll have some good news in uh, the... Uh, uh, the uh, Chancellor's statement uh, in March on this very, very front. We are stepping forward on the international stage, more so than we've done in, in the last sort of five or ten years. Very important that we do so, particularly with the United States perhaps becoming more isolationist if Donald Trump gets uh, elected. All important aspects of making sure that we have an armed force capable of defending our interests as we enter a very dangerous era of insecurity. Well, exactly right. And it would seem to me that being in the military is a sort of antithesis of being woke, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously you operate under a certain uh, a set, set of rules and there are things that you don't do. There's the Geneva Convention and all of that. And you don't, uh, you know, mistreat prisoners and you, all, all of the things that you know that you don't do. But what you don't do um, is ask people how they're feeling or whether they're a bit anxious that you might be pointing a gun at them. You know, I mean, you just wouldn't want anybody asking those kind of ridiculous questions. And you need to be able to hire people who can actually kill people. Yeah, there is a sort of a sense of determination, grit, tenacity, uh, a sense of vigour that we expect from all our armed forces. We should recognise that society is changing fast, arguably sometimes too fast. We don't get a, an opportunity for perhaps the collective to settle in understanding a new idea comes into society, it gets pushed out in social media mm. and across the agendas. We almost have to accept it before we've had time to understand what that is. Mm. Now, clearly, the armed forces need to adapt to a changing society. And an example of that is now every single role in the Army, the Air Force and the Navy is now open to uh, males and females. doesn't matter. And that's actually a good thing. But some of these other elements that you touch on are absolutely not in the interest mm. of making sure that we have a resilient, determined, professional armed force able to, as I say, uh, utilise lethality in the way that might be required if we ever had to go to war. And the other thing that's been raised is that there are some, um, you know, restrictions being lifted, perhaps, on people coming from other countries to fight in our armed services. Um, 
and they're sort of making it easier for them to do so and giving them access to some high-powered jobs and certainly some national security-related areas, you know. And obviously, I think that would be a mistake, and I think Grant Shapps thinks that's a mistake as well. 100%. Uh, one of the vigours of our system is to make sure that those who are signed up uh, and take the, uh, the king's shilling, so to speak, are absolutely committed to fight for king and country. And what we cannot do is reduce the vetting procedures, the scrutiny in which we check uh, the backgrounds of any individual seeking to sign up for our armed forces. And this idea that somehow uh, we want to uh, allow Commonwealth countries greater access by reducing those numbers, right. uh, I should make it very clear that my sergeant was from New Zealand, was a fantastic soldier, absolutely brilliant. Uh, but he was vetted correctly, and he was then for, therefore allowed to mm. join. I'm afraid this goes back to the personnel numbers. The challenge that Grant Chaps now faces is to make sure that we recruit and indeed retain the, the size of armed force that we, we need. I've been asking, uh, arguing for a number of, uh, of, uh, of years now to see an increase in defence spending, because ultimately if you don't spend more money on our defence, then we're not going to have the security that we need given, as I say, the very changing threat picture that we face. And ultimately, that penny is starting to drop. What we see it saw in the Red Sea is a great example of how our economy and our security are actually symbiotically intertwined. Right. If you don't invest in security, how can you send our Royal Navy there to defend our economy in the Red, in the Red Sea? Those ships that are coming through have to divert around Africa, and that has an impact on inflation, on the cost of living here in the UK as the cost of goods goes up. Yeah. Absolutely. Just one final question, um, if I may, Tobias, off the, off the, uh, the defence track. Um, Azir Ali, the, the Labour candidate in Rochdale, uh, who has been in the centre of uh, a sort of storm after what he said about uh, what happened on October the 7th in Israel, um, has finally been disowned by Keir Starmer. It's taken him pretty much two days of constant barracking from people saying, what are you going to do about this guy? I mean, are you as astonished as I am that this has taken as long as it has? Yes, I think the Labour Party tried to weather this storm simply because they had moved past the official time, as I understand it, mm -hmm. when they could replace the candidate in a, in a simple form. Ultimately, had any MP made these same comments, they probably would have lost the whip and there would be pressure on them to resign yeah. uh, as well. There certainly would have been a sense of punishment. This isn't the sort of person that you want to be coming into. Bear in mind, if he's made these comments, there's potential that he's made other comments... Yeah as well. And it's a worrying direction of travel, particularly after the time with, uh, um, you know, with the, the previously the, with, with Jeremy Corbyn, yes. when, of course, this sort of commentary was uh, far more pre prevalent. Well, this is absolutely right. Maybe he hasn't changed the Labour Party as much as he says he has, old Keir Starmer. Tobias Elwood, thank you very much indeed um, talking to us there from Parliament. Coming up, of course, we've got loads more. And singing from the hills, this is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. In a moment, we look at the Church of England's full-scale assault on the Rwanda bill and the disgrace of those water companies pumping sewage into our seas and waterways. It's all coming next. Keep up with the flow. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Welcome back. Now it's time for Taking the Mic.
Now, there are many things I do so that you don't have to. Earlier today, I took it upon myself to watch the debate in the House of Lords on the Rwanda bill. You know, the one that the government says will ensure that they stop illegal migrants from coming here on a daily basis because they won't want to be sent to Africa. And my goodness, it was eye-opening. For hour after hour, all sorts of old duffers, and a few younger ones as well, did their level best to puff out their chests with pomposity, assure anyone listening that they had been in Parliament for decades, and congratulate each other on how brilliant they all were. It was all his lordship this and baroness that. Loads of apparently expert views on how dangerous Rwanda is, despite the country sponsoring Arsenal Football Club with the inscription on their shirts, visit Rwanda. And despite the facts of the case, which are that the United Nations itself has previously sent refugees to Rwanda, as have several other countries in Europe. Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, this three-day jamboree at taxpayers' expense, complete with a subsidised bar and restaurant, is the long-awaited revenge of the Archbishop of Canterbury, my Lord Justin Wokeby. They were all there, the Green Baroness Jones, the Blairite Lord Falconer, the former free speech advocate Baroness Chakrabarti, and of course, several assorted bishops and dozens of Lib Dims. Aside from a very few Conservative peers, they were all very much against the bill. The Right Reverend Christopher Chesson, who's the Bishop of Southwark, was absolutely certain that we have a duty to look after vulnerable people who come here from abroad seeking refuge. Baroness Jones called the bill nasty and inhumane, and plenty of others actually mocked Rishi Sunak and the government for even having the temerity to suggest that Parliament should be sovereign. What I didn't hear, of course, amid all the coughing and spluttering in the background, was anything about the effects of all this unbridled immigration. The crimes committed only recently by people who have come to this country illegally and with sinister intent. Nothing about the toll of lives that have been lost. Nothing about the chemical attack on a mother and her two children only last month. Nothing about the Nottingham killer, the Reading murderer. Nothing about the scam that is the conversion to Christianity used by lefty lawyers to stop dangerous criminals and sex offenders from ever being deported. The House of Lords is said to be a brilliant establishment for keeping governments in check. It is very clear now that it is little more than a place where democracy has no voice, where the wishes of the people of this country have no sway, and where the lefty elites continue to ensure that no elected party will ever be able to change the way this country is going. The Rwanda bill is a sideshow. It's unlikely to ever work in the way that it was intended, but far more dangerous is what today's dog and pony show tells us. They don't care about you. They don't care about what you want. They don't care about what you voted for. And that, I'm afraid, is not going to end well. You may have thought, by the way, that water company Fat Cats would be disqualified from getting six-figure bonuses if they commit criminal acts of water pollution. Well, they weren't until today, when the government finally said that bosses whose companies regularly breach laws protecting our rivers and seas will actually be blocked from profiting from that pollution. Seems incredible, doesn't it? I'm joined now by the founder of the Save Windermere campaign, uh, Matt Staniak, and policy and advocacy manager for Surfers Against Sewage, Henry Swithinbank. Welcome uh, to both of you. Um, I think it's quite remarkable, and I think a lot of people will find it quite remarkable, that these characters running these terribly badly run water companies are actually able to claim bonuses. I mean, what the hell are they claiming bonuses for? Matt, let me start with you. I think the, the news today is really misleading, uh, simply because this is a regurgitation of what DEFRA and Ofwat came out with a year ago, almost to the day. Uh -huh. And they're, they're saying essentially, you know, that we need to cap um, water industry bosses' bonuses. 
But why aren't we bringing in criminal prosecutions? You know, you said it yourself as you introduced the program. This is criminal activity. Yeah. Waste company bosses and directors are held accountable by being put in prison and their um, assets are seized under the proceeds of Crime Act. So why isn't the same process being put on water company bosses instead of a slap on the wrist, which is, oh, you can't take your bonuses, but, you know, we know how manipulative the water industry is and it will likely lead to increased salaries. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, Henry, some of them um, sort of said no to a bonus last year, but, but many of them did not. Um, and it, it seems to me that, like a lot of the um, regulators in this country, the water regulator, off what, is hopeless. doesn't seem to really serve the needs of the people. It seems to serve the needs of these companies. Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of saw quite a few companies um, forgo their bonuses last year, but actually that just meant that they were in, remunerated in different ways. So while this proposal is a welcome but very small step forward, we need to take some real action to ensure that there's no bonuses unless water companies are fundamentally complying with environmental legislation. Yeah. Um, the law is very clear. Um, storm overflow should only ever be used in exceptional circumstances, mm. but yet we saw sewage pollute into our rivers and seas over 300,000 times last year. Yeah. So fundamentally, we need to see water companies um, being regulated properly um, by the Environment Agency, CEPA in Scotland, all of those, and for government to actually give the regulators the resources they need to end sewage pollution. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Matt, one of the problems that seems to be uh, going on at the moment is that these companies would rather pay fines than spend money on infrastructure. You know, they're hopeless at collecting water, they're hopeless at supplying water, they're hopeless at taking water away. I mean, is there anything they're actually good at? <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd have to agree. Apart from yeah, polluting from, the bloody sea, you know. Yeah, well, in, in my case, it's, you know, England's largest and most recognised body of water within, um, you know, a national park and UNESCO World Heritage Site. And, you know, these this idea that the water industry is set up to protect the environment is is a complete, you know, laughable statement. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fundamentally set up to make profits. And that's what they are doing very, very successfully, whilst not investing in the infrastructure. It's very cheap for them to um, invest in nature-based solutions and taking the fines instead of doing what is fundamentally required, which is upgrading their, their infrastructure. Like Henry rightfully says, yeah. we're supposed to only see storm spilling in exceptional circumstances, whereas some of the permits within the Windermere catchment, the Environment Agency is allowing storm spilling to occur in a quarter of a millimetre of, of rainfall. Yeah. Um, it's just laughable what they're being get, allowed to get away yeah. with, and that's due to inadequate and insufficient regulation from both off what the Environment Agency and government seemingly turning a blind eye to mm. the whole situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and back to you, Henry. I mean, we saw, I think it was last summer, wasn't it, when there was a lot of storm activity, that because people could put drones up now, you could see some of the horrible... Um, effects of the pollution in the sea. It was just a sort of brown effluent going into, into bodies of water. And I myself um, take my dog out down near Bex Hill. Um, and funnily enough, the big pipe there that was absolutely spewing just disgusting, horrible brown effluent into the, into the sea for ages. It looks now, funnily enough, I was there at the weekend and there's my dog Ziggy standing next to it. They're actually putting what looks like new pipes in there. Is there any suggestion that they're actually trying to improve the infrastructure of the piping system. So, yeah, we are seeing this pollution, as you say, kind of everywhere, all through the summer, all through the year, and it's really affecting people's health. 
Yeah. Um, we are Surfers Against Sewage. I'm a surfer. We represent surfers and water users all around the country. And they are getting sick on a frequent basis because of this, this pollution. And yes, we're seeing investments coming in from water companies to try and deal with sewage pollution, but it's taken such a long time to get to this point and there's so much further we need to go. Mm. Um, so that's kind of why we've set out a very clear manifesto of the action we want to see this government and any future government take in order to deal right. with this problem and really put the water companies in the right place for dealing with this in the next five 10, 15 years. And would that include punishing chief executives like Ian McCauley from Southern Water? Um, they were fined 90 million quid, but he took a bonus of half a million quid for himself. Yeah, absolutely. We, nobody should be profiting um, from pollution. Um, but I think we also need to realise that this isn't just a problem of the water companies. Government have a role to play in this. Um, and the regulators certainly have a role to play in this. If, if we don't see the government enforcing the law and, and providing regulators the resources to enforce the law, the water companies will just continue to get away with this. So it's really got to be a full set of action between the water companies, regulators and the government. Right. And Matt, you know, I'm not very scientifically minded, but it seems to me that Lake Windermere um, is a closed body of water. Is it not? I mean, it's not tidal. You don't expect to put things in there and that they'll then be washed out into the sea. So, I mean, it should be literally a no-go area for any kind of uh, overflow situation, shouldn't it? Yeah, that, you, you've really hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we're saying. You know, um, whereas the river's got the flow to take it away and you have the dilution back to the coastline, much of what you put into a lake remains within yeah. the lake itself. And that's one of the key problems that we have with Windermere, that we have a latent layer of pollution that now sits at the bed of the lake that under natural processing of the lower levels of the lake becoming anoxic can release that trapped nutrient on top of what's going into it. You know, yeah. since 2020 alone, we've seen over 18,000 hours of untreated sewage spilt in the Windermere catchment, which then goes into the lake. And we've also seen that the Environment Agency is allowing up to 13 million litres a day in treated effluent, which goes into the lake itself. Both treated and untreated have the exact same ecological impact on the lake, which right. is what you know is famously turning Windermere bright green in the summer months with excessive algal growth. Right. And the big problem that we face now with climate change is that's going to be the tipping point for this ecological decline. We'll see an enormous algal bloom, which when it dies and sinks to the bed of the lake, it starts to decompose. Which, re which then absorbs a lot of oxygen within the water, and that's in the situation where you see mass fish kills. Mm. Um, what we're calling for is a complete end to sewage pollution in its entirety from entering Lake Windermere. And this follows in a various case studies from around the world. One of our key points is Lake Annecy in France. Mm. Lake Annecy is, you know, it's, it's, it's different in the sense it's an alpine lake. Windermere is a lowland lake, so it has, it has differences in, tho in those respects. But the management styles that were put in place since the 1970s is that we have kicked this can down the road. And a lot of that is thanks to privatisation and an unwillingness to do what is absolutely necessary to protect the ecological status of Windermere. Mm. Whereas in Annecy, what we saw was that they saw an increase in algal blooms, declines in their fish populations, and they put a long-term infrastructural investment plan, which has completely removed all sewage effluent that goes into Lake Annecy, and it is classified as the cleanest lake in Europe. 
you know, this is England's largest yeah. lake as a symbol of what fresh water should be as it's, you know, the heart of the national park. Right. And it's just being exploited for greed and profit. And we need something which is a lasting legacy for this nation forever. And that's the protection of a sewage free Windermere. Yeah. And we really haven't got much time for you to explain it, but what have they done uh, in that lake in France to make it so clean then? So they've completely removed all the input. There's a, a sewage pipeline that encompasses the entire the entire circumference of the lake. It collects all of it and then it discharges out of the catchment itself. Right. And, you know, it is an absolute engineering possibility to do. It is simply a matter of cost. If we take, for example, United Utilities' last investment, which connected Thirlmere Reservoir to the west coast of Cumbria, it was around 65 kilometres worth of pipeline. It took seven years to complete and it cost them £300 million. Mm. You know, in, in relation to how much um, these water companies are making, how much debt they're racking up, it is a drop in the ocean for a 10-year project, yeah. which will lead to the long-term sustainable development of the national park, yeah. of, of Windermere, and it will ensure its protection forever. Absolutely. You know, it is... I've got to, sorry, Matt, I've got to, Matt, I've got to start you. Sorry, we're running right out of time, but thank you so much for joining us both. Matt Staniak okay. and Henry Swithenbank there from the Surfers Against Sewage. Appreciate your time. Smashing the barricades. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up in the next hour, Trump's back settling Russian conflicts and bashing Sleepy Joe. Uh, while two years on, I prove yet again you can indeed grow concrete. We're laying it down. Don't go anywhere. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Good evening and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk, we're on TV, we're on radio, we're online and of course we're on your smart speaker of course. Coming up in this hour, Donald Trump accused of undermining European security after claiming he wouldn't protect a NATO member from a Russian attack if they were behind on payments. And a massive 86% of voters say 81-year-old Joe Biden is too old for another term in the White House. Plus, give me a ring, Rishi. Boris Johnson waiting by the phone as the Prime Minister seeks help from an old friend turned foot. Now, those of you who have been following the Independent Republic for a while will know that I am famous for many things. My predictions are rarely wrong, whether it's politics, sport or just public relations. My common sense manifesto has been universally adopted by everyone who knows what they're doing in life. And of course, I'm known for saying you can grow concrete. Let's have a little look in case any of you have forgotten or in case you haven't seen it, which is unlikely as it has now been viewed by over 50 
million times the last time I checked. Morning, Mike. Oh, hello. What are you glued to, Cameron? Uh, just your screen, unfortunately. Unfortunately. What do you do for a living, well, Cameron? I'm a carpenter. A carpenter, right. So how safe is that for the climate? Well, I work with timber, which is a much more sustainable material rather than concrete. I also but you work with trees that have been cut down then, don't you? It's a sustainable building practice. How is it sustainable if you're killing trees? Because it's regenerative, you can grow trees. Right. Well, you can, you can grow all sorts of things, can't you? Well, you can't grow concrete. You can. See you, Cameron. Cheerio. That was Cameron. Uh, he grows trees and then cuts them down and then makes things from them. Brilliant. Marvellous. What can you say? Uh, you may remember that I was roundly ridiculed for suggesting that concrete could, in fact, be grown. I was declared the thickest man on the planet by an Australian comedian. The talk TV clip was shown on Have I Got News For You twice. It was on the last leg as well, who actually used a prop of some concrete in a plant pot and on TV shows from Turkey to Mexico. In every case, it was the funniest thing on their shows because it was and is actually funny. Of course, the humorless leftists didn't see it that way. They're still convinced that the Wally from Insulate Britain showed me up to be a complete and utter moron. But that's because they have no sense of the ridiculous, not a shred of humour in their beings. But it wasn't just funny, it was also true. And with every year that passes, it becomes even more true. As a result of the concrete episode, my family actually bought me some stock in a concrete company. And that stock price is certainly growing, thank you very much. That's one thing. But it's also been true for many years that several bioscience companies have been working on growing concrete for a variety of natural resources. This week, we have more proof that I was right. No less a newspaper than The Times and their very estimable science editor, Tom Whipple, have reported that an Australian company called MCI Carbon is working on a system of creating building materials in hours rather than decades by capturing carbon and then mixing it with minerals in a giant bubbling vat. The company says they will recreate what geology does over centuries and speed it up to a process that only takes a few minutes. And as a result, they'll be able to decarbonise heavy industry while actually manufacturing carbon-negative building materials, including, wait for it, concrete. Now, that's a green agenda that I can get on board with. We already know about another company called Biomason, which is working on growing concrete in the same way as coral reefs reproduce. Working with Danish concrete maker IBF, they're already supplying what's called bacterial labour and manufacturing concrete tiles without heat or CO2 expulsion. In other words, they're growing it. It's always nice to be proved right, again. But of course, I knew I was right all along. Now, later on in the show, we'll be bringing you a first look at tomorrow's front pages. But before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look at the Sun newspaper. Um, and we'll have a look now to see what we've got. Sarah Killer knifed in jail. It's another story uh, from inside the prisons in this country, and we'll be developing that and looking at it a little bit later on. Um, but let's talk now about what's happening in the United States of America. The race for the White House is indeed heating up. This weekend, Donald Trump held a rally in South Carolina, but he raised a few eyebrows by suggesting that NATO members who failed to pay their dues would be getting what they deserve if aggressors like Russia launch an attack on their soil. Have a look at this. The Secretary General Stoltenberg 
Well, I don't know if he is anymore, but he was my biggest fan. He said, all these presidents came in, they'd make a speech, they'd leave, and that was it. And they all owed money, and they wouldn't pay it. I came in, I made a speech, and I said, you got to pay up. They asked me that question. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay? You're delinquent? He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. Donald Trump saying, as he said before, if you don't want to pay for NATO, then you can't really be in it. And that's the astonishing thing. And of course, a lot of people here say, well, that is terribly irresponsible, isn't it? What on earth is Donald Trump thinking? Why on earth would he suggest that he would not defend countries that were part of the NATO alliance? They've also, of course, said, well, hang on a minute, he's now encouraging, is he not, people to be frightened that if they were attacked and they hadn't paid their dues, that they would not be defended by NATO. I don't think he was really doing that. Let's talk to Greg Swenson, uh, who's from Republicans Overseas, to find out what it was that he thought Donald Trump meant. Greg, a very good evening to you. Welcome. Good to see you, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, there's been a lot of um, kerfuffle, shall we say, around this speech. People who know Donald Trump say, look, he wants people to pay up. He's done it before. When he was president, he wanted more money out of the NATO members than they were willing to give. And in the end, they, they came up and gave him the money. So is that what he's doing again? Yeah, and, and look, they made progress. I think it, they went from five countries reaching the 2% of GDP threshold, you know, when he took office in 2017 to maybe 10 or 11 now. But there's a long way to go. You still have another 20 countries, you know, 15, 20 countries that are clearly not making it, uh, starting with, with Germany, of course. So, look, I, I think his point is sometimes delivered in a very Trumpian way. You know, right. he's, he's a bit clumsy sometimes, or maybe he exaggerates, or he's unfiltered, to say the least. But he has a point. And I think, if anything, this might encourage some of these countries or the voters in these countries to say to their governments, you know, you're not spending enough spending enough on defense. Let's cut back the, the, the welfare state and let's let's focus on things that governments right. should focus on uh, besides, you know, a safety net. Um, let's let's provide decent military spending. Well, you'd have to think during these times that we are in, particularly with Russia uh, in Ukraine, that NATO countries would want to be absolutely sure that they were protected by the yeah. US and by NATO. I mean, this is not a time uh, to be, like, parsimonious with your money, is it? Right. And, and I, I say the same thing, you know, I have the same criticism for the US right now, you know, and, and Trump brings up a good point about, you know, sharing the burden with the European allies. But you also have to think about, you know, Biden has cut defense spending in real terms by 3% right. in the last year in the, in the military budget. You know, this is not the right time for cutting military spending, cutting defense spending. The, these uh, vax mandates and DEI mandates and diversity, you know, teaching and, and all this garbage, this rubbish that they they are infiltrating the military with has really damaged recruiting. Recruiting is down dramatically. It's down 60 percent from the targets uh, in the Army as well as in the other armed, armed services. So. You know, this is a this is not the right time. To your point, Mike, it's not the right time to be cutting back on defense. And in the case of the countries in Europe that are spending less than two percent, it's time to really step up. Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, as far as um, the the U.S. military is concerned, we were talking today on the show about Grant Shapp saying that you know there's this kind of woke um, stream running through all of military recruitment and all of that. So you, they're yeah. having the same problem in the states, are they? 
Yeah, I, I probably started in the States, frankly, yeah. and, and was imported to the UK, like wokeism in general. Mm. And it's but it's really been terribly damaging to the morale in the US military, you know, 8000 uh, US servicemen left the military because of the VAX mandates. And, you know, maybe some of them can be recruited to come back. But, you know, the combination of of these reckless vaccine mandates and mask mandates, and then the, the infiltration of DEI culture, and these guys, you know, that are running the military right now are, are, are basically, you know, they're more interested in, in diversity and right. inclusion than they are in developing a strong military. And that's really tragic. And I hope that changes. I mm. think, you know, we might be hitting the bottom on this as as uh, as some of these recruiting numbers come out and how discouraging they are. But yeah, I think it, you know, it's been imported. Well, I think we've just lost um, um, Greg there. He's just frozen up because I was about to ask him about Joe Biden and his um, state and the state that he's in, because as many as I think it is um, more than eight and a half in 10 voters, 85% of voters think that Joe Biden is in fact too old for another term in the White House. Absolutely horrendous. And so let's have a look at how he was back in 2017 when you will hear people say, oh, you know, Joe's always had a bit of a trouble, a bit of a problem communicating. Well, let's see if he did in 2017. So that was seven years ago, right? So let's have a look at him now. We haven't got that yet. He's definitely not as lucid there now as he was there. Let's have a look. My memory is not good. My memory is fine. My memory, take a look at what I've done since I've become president. I'm an elderly man and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president and I put this country back on its feet. I mean, that was a very ill-tempered and bad-tempered press conference, Greg. This was uh, after last week when, um, you know, basically the prosecutors said, well, you know, we know that he's been doing things that he shouldn't have been doing with classified documents, but because he's really a bit old and he hasn't got a very good memory, we're not actually going to bother pressing charges. Which seemed extraordinary. But what was more extraordinary to me, Greg, was the way that the White House press corps in that press conference kind of turned on him. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Mike. And, and I think that obviously the press conference and the Oval Office address were complete disasters. Yeah. Trying to, you know, address this this uh, issue of his memory loss and his cognitive challenges by demonstrating it on screen, you know, with yeah. forgetting who the president of, of Egypt is. And so, you know, look, that it just proved the case. And, and, you know, you mentioned the, the document issue. I mean, Biden willfully retained classified documents mm. and disclosed classified information to a, to a journalist. You know, th this is this was an, an attempt really by the by the special counsel to exonerate Biden and give him a pass because they felt like in a trial, you know, that he could just claim that he forgot and people would believe him because of his cognitive challenges. So, look, I, I think it was a complete car crash of a press conference. And it just shows you how, you know, instead of just accepting this this uh, special counsel suggestion to give him a pass, he, he gets up and, and as you said, he was combative, he was angry, yeah. which is also an indication of, of, of dementia well, exactly, or symptoms yeah. of dementia. Absolutely. And so it didn't, it surely didn't give any, restore any confidence with American voters that he's, that he is competent enough to 
to be the president, especially be the future president or run for re-election. Yeah. So well, I it think, also you know, calls it, into question some of his judgments because, you know, some of his defenders, and there still are some, not many, uh, will say, oh, yeah, but, you know, he's always been slightly off in his public speaking. He's always had a stutter. Well, we just watched him from yeah. 2017, and he sounded a very different man, and he sounded very yes. much more in charge of all of his faculties. And I would worry, quite frankly, about what he's doing now. You know, between now and the next election, he's got a lot of problems absolutely. that could come up in front of him militarily, you know, we're still um, uh, watching what's happening in the Middle East. He's still trying to get Benjamin Netanyahu to change his tack. Benjamin Netanyahu doesn't look like he wants to do it. Ukraine is still a problem. You know, there's the Houthis in the Red Sea. You yeah. know, and here's a guy who doesn't know who's in charge of what country. It's it's really a shame. And, and the, the defenders of Biden, you know, the inner circle in the White House, the press corps, the press secretary, his his even his wife, you know, some of the senators came out in his defense over the weekend. It's just dishonest, right? And it's it's very cynical. And, you know, here, here we have a president who's weakening America yeah. for the chance to get reelected. He's and, and they talk about Trump having a big ego. You know, look at this. Look at President Biden. He is so self-absorbed that he's willing to sacrifice the, the, his own party, the Democrat Party, as well as the country, in order to to win re-election and mm. beat Trump. I mean, it's really shameful, and it's it's not a it's surely not a situation that Americans want to see. I mean, seventy five percent don't want to see Trump versus Biden again. Right. But that's not you know that, that this is just as much on Biden as it is on Trump in terms of you know this perception that that you know that that they're putting their egos ahead of the country. It's really a shame. It really is a shame. And it does seem to be gaining credibility, doesn't it, this idea that something will happen at the Democratic National Convention, somebody will emerge, yeah. somebody may be, may be picked or, or identified as, as a proper candidate. Yes, and you could see Kamala Harris, the vice president, already pivoting, you know, starting to do more press, starting, starting to indicate, you know, I'm prepared. You know, this, I mean, for all I know, it, it could have been the, the, the Kamala Harris people that, that orchestrated this disaster of a press conference on Thursday. So there's something up. It's it, there, There's not a, a mechanism that makes it easy to move him aside. I mean, you know, the 25th Amendment is a real stretch that would have to be, you know, you'd have to see, see some a real rebellion amongst his cabinet and then support from the Congress, which would be hard to hard to deliver. But there is there is a great a much greater chance now that he will not be the candidate versus a week ago. And, and you might see that at the convention. They were also waiting until Trump was the presumptive nominee right. on the Republican side, because the, the argument is that only Biden could lose to Trump. You know, a generic Democrat would have a much better chance at beating President Trump. So, you know, I think they waited because they wanted Trump to be the nominee. Right. Look, I hope Trump wins. I hope he especially hope he beats Biden. But this is exactly what the Democrats wanted with all the indictments and the mugshot. So they've set it up almost perfectly. The, you know, in many ways, the PSYOP has worked. And now it's a chance to, to pull away from Biden. And Thursday was really the start of the, the turn against President Biden. Right. And in that scenario in a, in a, a Democrat convention, does he have to step aside or can they kind of make him? Because I got the sense on Thursday he's not really going to be very willing to step aside. That's right. He, he showed his sort of, you know, defensive, right. combative, angry look. And we've seen that a lot over the last three years, but especially on Thursday. There's no there's no mechanism to assign the delegates that, you know, that that uh, appear at the convention to someone else without him acknowledging or without him dropping out officially. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to pull him. But remember, Mike, they did this four years ago. 
Bernie Sanders was clearly going to be the nominee. Biden had come in fourth in Iowa and fifth in New Hampshire, yeah. but they realized Bernie Sanders was going to get crushed in the general election and they moved him aside. They got in a smoke filled room. And sometimes I think that, you know, that's probably a better method in many ways yeah. than the, the primary process. But, you know, they did it only four years ago. Mm. So I think they're quite capable of doing it again. But Bernie Sanders had to cooperate with the, the, the party yes. elders when they executed that strategy. I'm not sure Biden will, but if they can talk him into it, maybe Dr. Jill will do it. But, you know, there's there are options. And hopefully, you know, for his sake, for the for the good of the country, he'll step aside. Now, from a purely electoral perspective, I want him to be the candidate mm. because I know Trump can beat him. Right. And I'm not sure that Trump could beat some of the other potential candidates. So right. from a purely partisan perspective, I want Biden to be the candidate. But if I were the Democrats, I would be doing everything in in, in my power to to move him aside. It's, it's an electoral disaster. Yeah. There's no way he can function and run for president or run for re-election. No, it seems incredible. Absolutely unbelievable. Greg, thank you very much indeed. Greg Good Spencer, to be here, Mike. Thanks. Republicans overseas telling us why uh, Joe Biden really is not fit for another term. Probably not fit for the rest of this term, to be honest. But fighting fit is what we are here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Next up, we can look at migrants hiding themselves in suitcases and the draconian ban on thongs in Australia, stopping us seeing those sun-kissed peaches. Or was it beaches? You wouldn't believe it. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. In a predictably stupid move, animal rights activists Peter have called for the traditional merry-go-rounds to remove their horses. That's right. They say they encourage the victimisation of horses. Apparently, the little girls and boys who enjoy this cornerstone of the great British fairground will take away from this innocent experience that horses are beasts of burden to be exploited by man and therefore abused. Well, I've got news for Peter. The real beasts of burden in history are not horses. They're actually the same animals as you lot, complete and utter donkeys. Their joyless solution is to replace the horses with the usual diversity drivel, rainbows, stars, and all the other typical dressings of the alphabet people. It begs the question, what's going to come next? Will the teacup ride be called racist because tea helped to build the British Empire and it's not really from here? Will the Hall of Mirrors be blamed for causing anorexia? Will the dodgems be banned for not acknowledging cyclists? Will Pac-Man be banned for demonising people with eating disorders? What should really happen is that Peter should be put on the bungee ride for stretching such a stupid argument so thin. And then they should be blasted into the night sky. You know, sometimes you wonder whether you're going to have to find stories to talk about on this show, but you really don't because... <laughs> April Fool is every day now. The panel's come back, um, so uh, let's bring them in. Oh, hang on, I'm just told Joe Biden's making a speech. Let's go straight to that instead. One second. Here he is. Senior foreign policy staffs, what the issue that's front and centre in the Middle East and well beyond. The war between Israel and the terrorist organisation Hamas. Over four months ago, on October the 7th, Hamas attacked Israel in an act of sheer evil massacring more than 1,200 innocent women, men, and children. The deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. More than 250 hostages were taken. 134 are still being held hostage by Hamas. We don't know how many are still alive. The anguish that their families are enduring, week after week, month after month, is unimaginable. And it's a top priority for the United States to bring them home. 
I've made clear the United States shares the goal of seeing Hamas defeated and ensuring long-term security for Israel and its people. After October 7th attacks, Hamas retreated back into Gaza, where its leaders live in underground tunnels stretching for over 100 miles beneath civilian infrastructure, including, including schools, playgrounds, and neighborhoods. The past four months, as the war has raged, the Palestinian people have also suffered unimaginable pain and loss. Too many, too many of the over 27,000 Palestinians killed in this conflict have been innocent civilians and children, including thousands of children. And hundreds of thousands have no access to food, water, or other basic services. Many families have lost not just one, but many relatives and <clears throat> cannot mourn for them, even bury them, because they're not safe to do so. It's heartbreaking. Every innocent life in Gaza is a tragedy, just as every innocent life lost in Israel is a tragedy as well. We pray for those lives taken, <clears throat> both Israeli and Palestinian, and for the grieving families left behind. Not only do we pray for peace, we're actively working for peace, security, and dignity for both the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. And I'm working on this day and night with the King and others in the region to find the means to bring all these hostages home, to ease the humanitarian crisis, and to end the terror threat, and to bring peace to Gaza and Israel, enduring peace with the two-state solution for two peoples. As the King and I discussed today, the United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, <clears throat> which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza for at least six weeks, which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. Over the past month, I've had calls with Prime Minister Netanyahu, as well as the leaders of Egypt and Qatar, to push this forward. The key element of the deals are on the table. There are gaps that remain, but I've encouraged Israeli leaders to keep working to achieve the deal. The United States will do everything possible to make it happen. The King and I also discussed the situation in Rafah. As I said yesterday, our military operation in Rafah, their, uh, the major military operation in Rafah, should not proceed without a credible plan, a credible plan for ensuring the safety and support more than one million people sheltering there. Many people there have been displaced, displaced multiple times, fleeing the violence to the north, and now they're packed into Rafah, exposed and vulnerable. They need to be protected. And we've also been clear from the start, we oppose any forced displacement of Palestinians from Gaza. Today, the King and I also discussed in detail how to get more humanitarian aid into Gaza from the very beginning. My team and I have relentlessly worked to get more aid in. I urge Congress for months to make sure that our nation's support for Israel and also includes urgently needed aid for innocent Palestinians. And I've spoken repeatedly with partners across the region, including the King, to help facilitate the flow of such aid into Gaza as much as possible, and then to actually get to the people that are, that are needed. We work to get the Rafah crossing open. We work to get Karim Shalom open. And we insist that we remain, it remain open. Both remain open. We're working. That's uh, Joe Biden, President, uh, seeing um, him, him at the White House there. He's with King Abdullah of Jordan.
Um, making quite an interesting statement. Um, the panel's back. Madeline Grant's here from the Telegraph. Uh, Dave Chawner, Esther Cracker as well. Um, he actually looked in pretty good shape there, didn't he? He was being very serious and, and making sense and talking about, uh, for once, I think, it's nice to see, um, the hostages, which yeah. you don't hear a lot about these mm. days. Well, he, he, did, he did sound very lucid just there, mm. uh, at least by usual standards. Yeah. Um, and this is actually a very critical moment because, obviously, it comes at a time when, you know, the expected um, attack on, on Rafa is, is, has the potential to however you view the legitimacy of the conflict, um, you know, Rafa is right next to Egypt, yeah. which is a country that has basically stayed back from, from it right. thus far. But and has so far refused to take yes, any hostages, to take, to take any refugees from, yes. from uh, Rafa. Yes, but, it, but, it, but if, if, for example, you know, a few stray rockets end up in Egypt, this is the kind of thing that could, yeah. be, could, could, could really That's see some it. escalation into yeah. the region. So this is coming at a very delicate moment in the conflict, but also... There have been far more questions about Biden's mm. um, future prospects as president. Yeah. I mean, after that absolutely disastrous press conference that he had last week, where he was genuinely On Thursday, yeah. Yeah, making no sense and getting and just very getting really angry with, yeah. with his reporters. Well, I was talking to Greg Spencer about that. Yes. And I said, you know, you'd have to worry about what happens between now and the election. Never mind whether he wins another another term. Well, he'll make it. Whether he'll make but it. But I guess election. I guess he had to show today if he was going to make this statement that he was, yeah. in fact, on top of it, which yeah. he appears to be doing. And also very important to have have Jordan there because they are mm. a, an ally in the a kind of erstwhile ally in the yeah. region, but they have been super critical of, of Israel's response so far. So the fact that they have been able to mm. have a, a, a meeting and, and a joint press conference suggests that you know there's a sort of congenial relationship yeah. there too. Well, I think that's the thing, Esther, isn't it? I mean, there are obviously Arab nations in the region who are not particularly happy with Israel. They have to sort of have to say that. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not offering to help the Palestinians in any way, shape or form, really, well, I mean, other than to let sort of aid get in. Yeah, I mean, when... when um, anyway, history is a complicated thing, but let's just say any, any Arab country that's had to uh, administer any sort of... Um, well... Any, the minister sort of any of the Palestinian territories has hated it yeah. um, and they've made no secret of it. So I'm, I'm not surprised that they're not swinging their doors open for Palestinian refugees. Um, but I think that, that that speech, surprisingly, struck just the right note. Mm. Um, because we know that Joe Biden has been putting a lot of pressure, particularly on Benjamin Netanyahu, to not go uh, um, ahead with this Rafa offensive. So for him to make this speech now, especially for someone, um, Queen Rania of Jordan, who did an interview with um, on CNN, basically saying that the US is supporting a double standards when it comes to the lives of Israelis versus um, Palestinians. I think he struck just the right yeah. note. You know, the, the emphasis on humanitarian aid, but getting the hostages out, um, having a, a ceasefire that's going to lead to a longer lasting um, sort of peace and all of that. So I'm actually quite impressed. This is why I was asking, is he reading an mm. autocue? Because he seemed, this is one of his lucid yes. books, clearly. I would imagine he is probably reading an autocue because that's I imagine what they would want him to do. But but yeah, I mean, it covered, it seemed, all the points that you would want him to cover. You know, he said that he agreed with Israel that Hamas can't exist, that yeah. there can yeah. be no peace as long as they're there. He wanted the hostages out, but he also wanted Israel to kind of take it easy in Rafa until they could get a plan together. So, I mean, you know, yeah. if there is a plan being worked on, then maybe it can all, at some point, come together, but we'll keep you updated on that. The King of Jordan seems to be now speaking as well, and we'll see what he has to say for himself. But let's go back to what we were talking about before, uh, before uh, we were interrupted by the President of the United States of America, which is, you know, sometimes it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Peter and the, and the carousel horses. I mean, seriously. 
One for you, Dave. I love this. And, and I say, I, I think Peter are great at this because I don't know if you remember, I'll never forget it, there was a story a couple of years ago that you should get rid of any animal analogies. Right. So it was uh, the one that Flogging I remember. Flogging the dead horse. Sort. Flogging the yeah. dead horse. That was <laughs> the one. Uh, it was what when was it? When pigs fly. A hangover, a hair of the dog. Yeah, that was one dog, that was yeah. offensive Couldn't to use dogs. That. Right. And they gave all what of these. What other ones are there? There's not that many. Well, oh, there were loads. It was brilliant. The cat's got the cream. Cat's yeah. Cat's got the tongue. One pig's flying. Oh, yeah, okay. And I think. See, I never say any of these things. No, you not. Because you're not from Victorian England. No, I mean, it's, people don't really speak like that. And now, you strike me as the man that gives the, the air of the cat that got the cream. Yeah, Yeah. well, I do feel like that. Yeah, I would never describe it in that way, that's all. Right, oh, how would you no, describe I mean, it? There'd be a bit more profanity Just very happy. The vibe in the studio is looking quite hair of the dog right now. Yeah. It is very much so, yes, absolutely right. So, yeah, but so so what about this getting rid of the horses, though, and putting your little child on a, you know... Uh, maybe a rainbow. Or in a teacup. I yeah. think the thing you is can have a, rain, a sort of upside down rainbow, couldn't you? They can straddle that. Peter's with... an interesting organisation because they do some good work on, on sort of animal welfare. But then you you look at their social media and they'll they'll have a picture of a pig and being like, would you would you eat this? And I'm like, yes, it's called bacon. Yeah, right. right? And it's like it, it, it sometimes strikes this completely tone deaf note mm. with people that they're actually trying to get on site. I'm absolutely all for is... you know not treating animals cruelly, but sometimes they're just strange. I think yeah, that this I... is properly bonkers. This yeah. is properly. Jump to the shark. It yeah. kind of reminds me of that scene in, I think it's... Jump to the shark. There's another one. That's another yeah. yeah. one. How yeah. dare you? you that so As a vegan, so I'm offended. to Jaws. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it reminds me of that scene in Notting Hill yeah. when he goes on a date with a woman who says that she's a fruitarian yes. and that the vegetables have been murdered. Right. You know, it's like, that's, yeah. this, real people are not like this. Well, some real people are they like are. that. Clearly no, they're, like they're not. They are. Really? They're not. I mean, I, I used to say this, that people wouldn't behave in real life like they behave on Twitter, but now they actually do. I, like, I, think, I think Peter is brilliant at one thing, and that is PR. Yes. Because I, do, I think, I love the idea that Peter's sitting in their little HQ going, how can we annoy people yeah. more? Yeah. And then, right, let's get rid of Zebra also, Crossing, to be honest, they're offensive. To be honest, unless I'm, <laughs> I know there's one down by sort of uh, the London Eye, but you don't find many carousels with horses. No, you with don't. Horses to not? Sit on. not no. that many. Oh. You know, if you go to like the local fair, it's usually run by some very yeah. dodgy there's looking people. There's a very people. good one in Liverpool. Is there? Yeah. It's a long way to dogs. go for a carousel. Yeah, Even you mentioned dodgems. Even dodgems oh. are rubbish now because you're not meant to ram each are other. They? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. You're not like, you're not you allowed to You can't go head on or anything, no. can you? No. So you've got to go, no. yeah, yeah, because I got in one with my niece and you had to go around in a clockwise and so I just stuck in traffic. That's all it's like being on the M25. Maybe what they should have is some insulate Britain people sitting, you know, glued to the floor and maybe just if you go around them. Traffic neighborhoods. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. No roads, 20 miles an hour. Yeah. I mean, if I was a kid right now, all I'd want to do is play video games because mm. there's yeah. no like real life perspective. You're not allowed that to do anything dangerous. As exciting yeah. as your video but games. You, you say that. One. Video games are so much more violent. I'm, I'm not I against know, exactly. that. But I play I play <laughs> console and they're right. so like yeah. needlessly violent that when yeah. I was a kid, I remember people losing their minds because they're like, Pac-Man eats people. Right. Whereas you can play this game where you like <laughs> shoot someone in the back of the head and then like wear their corpse. And you're like, oh, God. Oh, yeah, and you can like, pull a prostitute out of a car and just like well, drive over her dead yeah, body. That's it's a horrible. Game, right? um, <laughs> now, talk about things you can pull out of cars. How about this story, right? Mm. Stunned children return to Hampshire from school trip to France mm. to find two mice. It's not actually in the papers. This. Oh. Uh, this was one that I spotted earlier. Can I just found... say that's the best link ever in the world? Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> they found two migrants in the luggage compartment of the coach. Yeah. Right? Um, they'd apparently been on a school trip uh, to somewhere like Boulogne. 
Uh, and they're from the Houndsdown School, a science college in Southampton in Hampshire. But the worst thing was, um, was that these are all kids aged between sort of 11 and 13 or something like that. Parents could turn up to pick them up. The guy, you know, opens up the coach and there's two blokes in there well, who have getting, crept in. And, and, and what was really bad, and I don't want you to be too upset by this, but there's one woman saying, you know, it was really awful because we dragged my son's bag out and it was covered in urine. Oh, I mean, gross. But imagine the security. But the thing that you know is, in that school, it's going to be that kid that's going to get bullied. bullied. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to be pee pants Peter or whatever what? it is yeah. for the rest <laughs> of the year. They've been to Boulogne University, oh. about 20 miles. I mean, we've all been on that trip where you, you go across yeah. to Carrefour's and you pick yeah. up some pate and some mm. toast. Uh, and, we went you know, to very different schools, mate. Yeah, no, I've this wasn't a school trip. trip. This is what I used to do, you know, quite right. recently. Okay. You know, it's just because you pop over to France. Before we got the dog, actually. Uh, you just pop over to France, go on the ferry, nice. pick up a load of wine and stuff, have lunch, come back. Um, but unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, I never found any um, illegal migrants in my car <laughs> when I got back home. It just goes to show you, doesn't they it? They would have ruined all your lovely Carrefour ingredients. I know, exactly. Yeah. But, but I mean, it shows to show how useless the Border Patrol is. Well, the thing yeah. is, they used to... So, I don't remember if you remember 2015 sort of time. You used to have loads of migrants coming up um, across the channel on, on these, like at the back of these trucks. Yes. And they started getting heat detectors to actually detect people from, right. from like Belgium, France, and all of that. And that the, the, um, the that wave of, of migration stopped. But the reason I think they didn't catch these ones is because it wasn't a commercial vehicle. It was yeah. actually students. It was it was it wasn't classed as a kind of commercial goods vehicle that come um, come over. But also the French are not stupid enough to roll out the red carpet to these types of migrants. So they know that they're coming here, they're going to get a hotel room, they're going to get an allowance, they could say that they've converted to Christianity and likely be allowed to, to stay in the country indefinitely. I mean, they know why they're doing this. They have a literally, statistically, double the chance of getting asylum here than they do in France. I mean, probably well, I, more, I, I don't agree triple. with that. I, I, think, I think what it is, and I think uh, uh, the reason that, you know, migrants come from France to here is because they're like, I, I don't want to be with the French. No, and I, that's I, why I, they're I mean, coming over valid. here. Well, they get a lot much better deal here than they get in France. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the but French, I mean, they don't I get think, houses in France or money. The, um, I think the asylum approval rating in France is somewhere around fifteen percent a year, seventy-seven percent. Which is crazy because you wouldn't you wouldn't know this from listening to the narrative. The narrative peddled by so many of the bleeding hearts in this country mm. is that we're heartless and evil for right. even wanting to do like right. anything yeah. in relation. No, you just have to, to not do anything at all. It's like, are you, why are you being so unkind? Mm. And at the same time, they often point to like enlightened continental Europe as how things ought to be done. And you're like, you don't even know what you're it's talking about. It's horrible in Europe, where some yeah. of the migrants are sleeping rough on the streets. I mean, Paris. Yeah. Is, parts I mean, the of Hungarians Paris are not even letting them in. It's disgraceful. Yeah. yeah well, but I know. even if you go to Italians more kind of trendy European countries, they often have much harsher. Like Denmark has yeah. a very severe policy mm. on not just migrants, but even I think they have basically changed. They felt that there was too much. Um, there was very little mixing in certain mm. parts of town. So they basically broke up communities and forced yeah. people to move out. Right. You know, these kind of things oh, are yeah. totally un unthinkable. Well, I don't think we have to remind people about the nature of some European countries, which only you know a couple of generations ago were doing some pretty awful things. Yeah. Um, and had very, I mean, this is why during COVID, places like Spain um, and Germany were all quite happy to be told what to do because, you know, Spain... To be honest, we were too. Well, I wasn't. And I mean, well, no, most, there was a lot of people who were You're in a minority, but the, big I mean, minority. In Spain, where they kept... You know, people were wearing masks on beaches and, you know, swimming yeah, in water. Very strange. Because, they didn't, you know, Franco was there running in place like a dictator not very many years ago. Yeah, but if you look at the opinion poll all through COVID, I mean, the, the stuff that people were very happy to have was quite shocking. I mean, even after we had reopened after Freedom Day, there was a poll, I think it found that, like, 
20% of people wanted there to be a curfew forever. Yeah. Like, even yeah. if there's not a pandemic on. Right. In fairness, I was always for that. Yeah. Because I, I hate it oh, when we parties... we got one. I hate it when parties go on and on and on. <laughs> oh, 10 o'clock, I want to be in bed. That is... And I love I mean, the excuse it's for shocking. that. Absolutely shocking. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Britain. We got um, one. We got one. But, I mean, we've got loads of stories to discuss, including... Delivery riders going on strike on Valentine's Day. You won't be getting any flowers, yeah. right? Um, oh, that's, also, my, that's my excuse. We're going to talk about Taylor Swift. I'm going to make you talk about Taylor Swift, oh even God. if you don't want to. We're at DEFCON 1 here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up next, we'll look at why a former camp commandant is so furious at theatres for going woke, plus the first sneak peek at tomorrow's papers. We're all action. Stay exactly where you are. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You are watching, of course, this great show here on Talk TV. Now uh, it's time for this. The world of woke. Have you been to the theatre lately? Did you survive okay? I mean, I'm not joking. Did you feel triggered? Were you left anxious, scared, upset, shocked, or even tearful? Did you find yourself feeling as though you'd been hoodwinked? by the adverts for what you went to see. I mean, if you're lucky enough to be able to afford to buy tickets in the first place and the prices don't scare you off, then you'll probably be able to deal with some actors on the stage. I went to see The Exorcist in the West End a few years ago. I don't remember anyone warning me that a girl who was possessed by the devil was going to make her head spin around and do unspeakable things with a crucifix. Because after all, it's theatre, isn't it? It's supposed to be a show with actors and where the audience is meant to be made to think about what they're seeing, but not anymore. The wokest have ensured that we must at all times be warned about anything that might upset us or even make us feel a tiny bit uncomfortable. Who could forget the warning from a production of Romeo and Juliet at a theatre in London last year that there were upsetting themes, references to drug use, moments of violence and depictions of suicide. Depictions, get it? In other words, people acting out a drama, a play even, by Shakespeare. Luckily, we have an ally in the acting fraternity who emerged as a voice of common sense at the weekend. That man is Rafe Fiennes, an accomplished award-winning British star who says he thinks trigger warnings have gone too far and they should be done away with. He pointed out uh, there was a stage version of The Sound of Music at the Chichester Festival Theatre last year that warned anyone coming to see it that it might contain Nazis. Well, bugger me. And he's even discovered a new ogeny at the Riverside Globe Theatre in London. A content guidance warning was issued last month for a performance of Anthony and Cleopatra. Apparently it includes depictions of suicide, scenes of violence, and wait for it, war, plus this, misogynoir references. Sorry? What was that? I'll say it again. Misogynoir. You heard that right. Apparently, it's a new word invented by the wokists. It's described as a portmanteau term for discrimination against women and black people. A kind of buy one, get one free hate crime. Isn't life grand? I'm with Ralph. He says theatre audiences have all got too soft. This is a man who played Oscar Schindler in that haunting film about Nazi concentration camps. He's played Voldemort in Harry Potter and M in James Bond. I think we should listen to him. That is the world of woke. The world of woke. Misogynoir. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange one. Oh, it was I... a new one on me. It's, well, it's I take ludicrous. A new one on me. I, I genuinely wouldn't believe this because right. I, 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 I think trigger warnings have been co-opted. They actually used to be like, if they were like 
things that actually would trigger you if you had a mental health inclination. Oh, what, like, then, you know, lights and things? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, it's kind of become a bit more... And, and genuinely, a friend of mine uh, was in uh, did, did a show and, and they genuinely had to give a trigger warning for biscuits. Biscuits? What? Uh, this is honestly oh. true. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't met this. Well, did they have nuts because, in it No, because there might be people that On were gluten intolerant. <laughs> In oh, for audience. God's sake. And, and, like, I wouldn't... I genuinely wouldn't have believed that oh if I hadn't God. heard that with my yeah. own viewers. That's not what a trigger warning is. That's... A trigger warning used to be someone like, if right. you've seen your father complete suicide, you're probably going to be a little bit, you know... Well, yeah, but you wouldn't give that warning just for an ordinary play because how would you expect somebody to come to that play and either not know that there was a suicide in it or something. Mm. Or else you ruin the ending. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think the thing, the, the bigger point is the kinds of things that trigger people these days, right? That's that, they've somehow expanded to so many things. Right. It's just like, oh my goodness. Well, this is, they're trying to cover all bases, well, aren't yeah, they? you can't really, because part of going to the theatre is the shock, right? You don't expect Well, that's what Ray Frank said. He and said, you're meant just, to be shocked. I mean, Ralph, I think Ralph Fiennes. Um, Ralph Fiennes? Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes, really? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, say his name three different ways. You say it like it doesn't help. Ralph Fiennes. It's definitely Ray Fiennes. Really? Yeah. I've always heard it, Ralph Fiennes. Anyway, maybe I've listened to Americans. Anyway, but he, he's not the kind of person that gets offended easily. Do you remember in 2007, he, he was on a Qantas flight and he had a, a bit of a mile high, mile high club experience with Did he? the uh, the air hostesses really? and he got her fired basically. Um, and I've it was such a massive scandal. Yes, yeah, so it was a massive scandal, particularly in Australia, obviously. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't seem like the kind of person that's um, put off by a bit of scandal or mm. two. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't think. He doesn't seem the you kind. You're sure of person. you're not mistaken him for somebody else. No, no, it's definitely him. Absolutely really? him. Yeah. Ask Since you can't pronounce his name right, though, yeah. I mean, maybe got somebody Ralph else. <laughs> it's not something you want to say about somebody if it isn't true. Really funny. No, it's true. It's like. Absolute shagger called Ralph. Yes. Yeah. Who are you? I'm not the person yeah. I expected yeah. to use that who are word. You? Be, who are you? Are you Rafe Fines? Yeah, that's me. That's you know. Yeah. <laughs> now listen. Talking of people who are very famous, how, I don't. You probably none of you watched the Super Bowl last night, right? There's yeah. be no uh, point yeah. any of you watching. It's not real sport. It. But let's have a look at Taylor Swift because Taylor Swift basically won the day. Her boyfriend's team won the whole thing, and she uh, made a sort of viral video because she was seen basically downing a pint of beer, uh, chugging it, I think, as they call it in the modern yes, vernacular. Um, I just think she's great, so I just thought I'd say so, really. Really? You're a Swifty. Yeah, I think she's great. Oh, good for you. Oh, Thank you. Yeah. Why do people yeah. get... What's she I don't doing? know why people get so worked up about her. I th yeah. See, I think she's brilliant. She's I just, a singer. I just don't care about her, really. I mean, I think I think the Super Bowl is a commercialised mess. They have ads every eight minutes. I mean, I'd rather just watch a football match because... I feel like at least the if you want... is like... Yeah, but they have ads exactly. because they stop the game so often. But yeah, because it's... Yeah. I mean, you know, I, American football is pathetic. Um, <laughs> That woman oh, with like the macaroni and cheese But she just livened it all hair. up, I think. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, good for her. And actually, that was a good, that was quite a good chug, I think. It was quite oh, a very good chug. Oh, it's phenomenal. And, yeah. and I also bet she got quite gassy after that as well, because yeah. that, that it's not proper bit, it's no. lager. Yeah. Really? You don't want to be stuck in a private jet. Like, have, have you ever done pub golf? No. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you, can't, you can't have lager when you're doing yeah. that. Oh, wow. I really? never played really? that. I didn't know that. Wait, yeah, so yeah. Like... I've done real golf where we used to sit in carts in America and just drink beer while you're driving around. <laughs> That's... That's, Phenomenal. No, no, that's proper, you know, beer, golf. Yeah. Because you're actually oh, having yeah. to do some athletic activity as Can well. Can you do a handbrake turn from in the time to time. I have done one, but... Have you? Yeah, not, by, not uh, intentionally. I was in <laughs> Ireland. I was in Ireland. It was very wet. And we were going down a hill. And I tried to sort of put the brake on, the, on it, and it just started going sideways. <laughs> and we were sliding down into what looked like a very large lake at the bottom of the hill. 
And we all oh, just jumped out in here. And then the car I want the, the intro to this show to be you turning up and doing a handbrake <laughs> turn in a golf cart and get out yeah. every week. Be very careful if Wait, it's so raining. The, the, the cart went into the lake? Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, I'm afraid so. We, didn't, we couldn't take it back. We were like, it's in the lake. <laughs> what did, did, oh, did you wow. have to pay the pint? They were fine. It's or? Ireland. They were like, I oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. Have another pint. Um, what should we talk about oh, now? No, How about no. Free the Peach? This is an Australian story. I, um, I saw this. Thong-wearing protesters have been wandering about because apparently somebody who's a bloke has objected to women mm -hmm. wearing um, scantily um, made-up bikinis, right? right. I, I... This is a, what's happened to Australia? Here's the, thing, here's the thing. I have no problem with this, but not all peaches need to be freed. Well, that is it's, true. It's like, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry, because the thing is, I, I'm, I am a bootyologist. I do love a great peach. But I need to be prepared if I'm going to see a peach. I would imagine in, in, in Bondi Beach, you're going to see plenty which are fine. I don't think you're going yeah, to see Yeah, you know, nice, tall, like athletic peaches. Not all peaches need to be freed. We need some standards. No, but that's into your basic yeah, yeah, but surely you wouldn't want to expect a man to be telling you that, would you? I don't have no, a You're wearing too few clothes. Peach? My problem with this is, like, there was this whole free the nipple movement. No, put the nipples away. Like, I don't want to see man, women, well, time or... time place. I, yeah. I, I like in parks when it gets warm. I ain't nothing yeah. but people taking their tops off. Like, so I object to men taking yeah. their tops yeah, off. Yeah, I, do, I, do, I don't mind. Women my face. <laughs> they can take the tops off if they want. And yeah. I think you haven't seen the other great. Sorry. I go kind on. of think My sometimes I feel like feminism ought to be not giving men exactly what they want. You know, when it yeah. would be the nipple, it's like we're going to get our boobs out. That'll right. show them. And yeah. It matters what men are like, oh great. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about it. You just go so demonstrate impressed. over there, you, you and we'll just film you. Yeah. I mean, it's not very good, is it? A um, couple of things from the papers that we should talk about. Um, Monty Python's feuding circus in the sun. Nobody expects these comedy legends to be short of a few quid. And it's all about Eric Idle. He's so unhappy that at 80 years of age, he still has to work for a living. I mean, either these guys had terrible agents yeah. or they were working for the BBC and the BBC wasn't paying them any money. I mean, they certainly weren't terrible on Gary Lineker's. I mean, I'm always sick to death of hearing from John Cleese, who says, oh, I have to keep working because I've got to pay off my divorce. He obviously had a bad lawyer. You know, well, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, he's obviously giving the woman it's to whom... It's not real work. Was... No, You're it's not really coal not. miner, mate. You're no. going on stage. Like, yeah. I, I hate it when I hear performers complain about how hard it is. And it's like... And, and I say this, I, I say this as You're a performer. You're going to get in trouble for that? I say that as a performer. People do, I, I do five shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and people always go, oh, my God, it's so tiring. It's like, it, it's not really. Like, give me... Work, work an 18-hour day in a mm. pub and then tell me that this is tiring. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe you get away with saying that. They're so protective. It's nice. real work. We're changing the world through pretend. I mean, yeah, but no one, like, I think it's fun work as well. Like, if you've worked... Well, if you don't enjoy theater, being on the stage, yeah. nobody's well, forcing I mean, you to do, do it, are they? What do you think they? about award shows? Because I find them so pretentious. They act like they've cured cancer. And it's like, oh, who played the best donkey on TV? Mm. And I just, I find, I find it pretentious, but I've never heard a performer saying this. Chris Rock, by the way. Best yeah. donkey on TV. Is he? Yeah, really? Shrek, isn't it? Best, uh, oh, best. is he Shrek? That's was... Eddie Murphy. That's Eddie Murphy, yeah. Oh, oh dear. Oh, my God. No, wait, hold on. Shrek is not Eddie Murphy. That's the donkey. The donkey oh, is Eddie Murphy. Is Eddie Murphy. No, no, anyway, Shrek never mind. Let's okay, move let's on. Move on. Yeah. I've got one for you because the Valentine's Day is coming up, as we said. Valentine's yeah. Day is going to be a problem getting your deliveries because the delivery drivers are all planning a mass walkout. So an awful lot of these guys have come here. Many of them are probably people who have come here as illegal migrants because yeah, you know, whenever you get your food delivered, it's always somebody that looks as though uh, they may not have... Uh, in fact, they arrested well, a lot there, of people in Brighton. There is a thing called the, the... Basically, it's becoming a well-established thing. It's basically the delivery grad visa. Yes. So what you do yeah. is you come do a often a not very academically rigorous yeah. degree and then you drop out or... And get a job, you do a and very get a job on the scooter. Of your work, and then you do the delivery right. for a bit. 
And then after a few years, then you can qualify for full citizenship. Well, I was going to say, yeah. they've clearly assimilated properly into British culture because they're now going on strike. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so they've obviously picked up quite a few tips on how to work in Britain. Just don't do any work. Well, so when, are you planning on sending any flowers to anyone? No, it's a waste, isn't it? Is it? Wow, yeah, you can get away with that. Well, Ash, it's Ash Wednesday, actually, so some people might be getting soot smeared on their faces instead of bruises. There is always that. It's Pancake Day, though, the best... Uh... Pancake Day's Tuesday, it's isn't also, it? Yeah. It's the first That's day of, tomorrow. It's the first day of Lent, so possibly I won't be eating meat on Wednesday, which is a bit oh, disappointing. Wow. Good I'm going to do it properly. Peter, Peter's proud yeah. of you. I was they... going to make a meat joke, but it's, it's, it's not necessary. Oh. Final story in The Sun. Bill agrees to repay £588,015 in 2018. So far, he's only given him forty-one. That sounds like he's still he got quite a, a long a way, way to go. To go. <laughs> hey? I mean, he's not going on holiday anytime soon. Oh, I feel yeah. so bad for him the guy. and Eric Idle I mean, should have a chat. He's been chased by the taxman. <laughs> I mean, he's been chased by the taxman. He's, you know, 91 years of age. I mean, he's 91. They, he looks great. They just leave him I alone. I know that he's been papped in a horrible way by the, is that the mirror. Um, mm. But he does look very young, I must say. All yeah. that work is keeping him sprightly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely think, right. Yeah. Well, listen, we've come to the end of the show, I'm afraid. Aww. That's all you've uh, got from me tonight. You've been watching uh, The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you to all of you for being here. Um, I won't be sending you any flowers. They won't be arriving. But I will see you tomorrow at 8pm once again, only on Talk TV. Good night. <laughs>